0: This is the World in Brief from The Economist, our top stories. America warned that Iran and Russia are entering a full-fledged defense partnership that may include the joint production of drones. Russia will provide fighter jets to Iran and is training its pilots, said a spokesman for America's National Security Council. In turn, Iran is believed to have sent armed drones for Russia's use in Ukraine. Separately, President Vladimir Putin said he may cut oil output in response to the West's stupid price cap on Russian oil exports. Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, said Bakhmut in Donetsk province has been destroyed by Russian forces. Russia is throwing all of its might at the town, even though it would be unlikely to make further advances were it to capture Bakhmut. Separately, Ukraine said that power in the southern port city of Odessa was disconnected from all but the most critical infrastructure after Russian drone attacks. Jimmy Lai, a Hong Kong newspaper tycoon and prominent critic of China, was sentenced to five years and nine months in prison for fraud. Mr. Lai, who is already locked up for other charges, was convicted for violating a lease contract for the headquarters of Apple Daily, an influential pro-democracy newspaper he ran. It shut down after a police raid in 2021 as China crushed Hong Kong's democracy movement. Japan's parliament enacted a law to ban organizations from maliciously soliciting donations following criticism of the fundraising tactics of the Unification Church, a cult-like religious group. The church has close ties with Japan's governing Liberal Democratic Party. In July, Abe Shinzo, a former LDP prime minister, was killed by a man whose mother had joined the church. Peru complained that Mexico is interfering in its politics by criticizing the treatment of its former president, Pedro Castillo. He has been under arrest since Wednesday, when he was impeached for trying to block a vote of no confidence. Mexico's president, a fellow leftist, said Mr. Castillo had been on his way to the Mexican embassy to receive asylum when he was arrested. At least 28 oil tankers have been halted in Turkish waters, forming a queue that waits to make its way from the Black Sea to the Mediterranean. And threatens to gum up European markets. Turkey has imposed a new routine for checking the ships' insurance papers before they reach Dardanelles. Insurers have balked, worrying that any violation of the price cap on Russian oil would expose them to sanctions. Football World Cup: Morocco beat Portugal one to nil to reach the semi-finals becoming the first African team ever to reach that late stage of the tournament. Portugal's loss was the latest in a series of upsets in Qatar. Meanwhile, fans paid tribute to Grant Wall, an American sports journalist who wrote about the treatment of migrant workers in Qatar. Mr. Wall died after collapsing during the Argentina-Netherlands game on Friday. And word of the week. Riceburger a German far-right extremist group that rejects the legitimacy of the Federal Republic in favor of the German Reich of 1871. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Artemis Splashdown. On Sunday, if all goes well, a space capsule called Orion, with three human dummies on board, Commanders Moonkin Campos, Helga, and Zohar, as well as a Snoopy doll, will splash down in the Pacific Ocean. Orion is all that is left of NASA's first Artemis mission, part of its program to return astronauts to the moon. If Orion's re-entry is a success, the next step will be a crewed lunar flyby in 2024, followed by a crewed landing in 2025. For comparison, in the gung-ho 1960s, the time between the first uncrewed launch of a Saturn V and Neil Armstrong's one small step was 20 months. Meanwhile at SpaceX's launch site in Boca Chica, Texas, preparations continue for the first orbital flight of Starship, a vehicle that should be able to replicate the space launch system on which Orion was carried into space but at a tiny fraction of the cost. There's a new mayor in Tinseltown. In November, Karen Bass became the first woman to be elected mayor of Los Angeles. On Sunday, she will be sworn in. Kamala Harris, a fellow Angelino, and the first female vice president, will administer the oath of office. It is a show of solidarity among two California politicians who once competed for the same job. Both were shortlisted to become President Joe Biden's Veep. Miss Bass is no political neophyte. She spent five years in the state legislature and more than ten in the House of Representatives. But running L.A. is a different kind of challenge. America's second-biggest city is reeling after a leaked tape exposed the racism of city council members and voters are frustrated by worsening homelessness. Miss Bass promised to declare a state of emergency to tackle the latter issue. The L.A. native said she wanted to be a mayor to help fix her hometown. Angelinos will hope she succeeds. TikTok's Growing Influence in the Music Industry For a platform dominated by Generation Z, Golden Oldies do surprisingly well on TikTok. Among the video-sharing app's most popular songs in America this year, a list of which was released this week, is Kate Bush's Running Up That Hill, A Deal With God, from 1985. The song owes its resurgence to the Netflix show Stranger Things. It provided the soundtrack to over 2.6 million TikTok videos this year. It's not the first time that a vintage tune has resurfaced on the app. In 2020, Fleetwood Mac's Dreams re-entered streaming charts after appearing in a viral video of a man skateboarding to the song while calmly drinking a bottle of cranberry juice. TikTok has become integral to how artists promote their music. For fresh faces, gaining popularity on the platform is often a ticket to a record deal but they face stiff competition from the stars of their parents' generation. Weekend Profile Itamar Ben-Gvir, Israeli's likely new national security minister At age 19, Itamar Ben-Gvir was Israeli's most toxic political activist. He had been the leader of the youth wing of the far-right anti-Arab Koch party when the Israeli government designated it a terrorist organization in 1994. A year later, he was tainted by the assassination of Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin. He had no part in the murder, by a Jewish extremist furious about Rabin's attempts to compromise with the Palestinians. But weeks earlier, Mr. Ben-Gvir had vandalized the Prime Minister's car and boasted on television that, we got his car, we'll get him too. Now aged 46, Mr. Ben-Gvir will soon be made national security minister in the incoming government of Benjamin Netanyahu. He was once considered too dangerous to be conscripted into the army. Now he will lead Israeli's police, which previously investigated him for inciting violence. To many, his rehabilitation symbolizes the hard right turn of Israeli politics. Mr Ben-Gvir's mission has been to make palatable a movement regarded by nearly all Israelis as beyond the pale. Raised in an affluent suburb near Jerusalem, he moved to a Jewish settlement in the occupied West Bank. He opened a law practice that specialized in representing radical Jews accused of anti-Arab terrorism. He joined the party Jewish Power on a platform softened just enough to comply with rules prohibiting political parties from inciting racism. After years of leading groups of thugs in the streets of Jerusalem crying death to Arabs, he began correcting them to shout death to terrorists instead. But the rebranding wasn't enough. In 2020, the party received only 19,000 votes. Its salvation came from Mr. Netanyahu, who in his quest for a right-wing majority pressured Jewish power to merge its candidate list with those of two other far-right parties. The new Religious Zionism list, which Mr. Ben-Gavir co-leads, won 14 seats at the election in November, making it a critical part of Mr. Netanyahu's coalition. Mr. Gvir is trying to project a more moderate image, promising that as security minister, we will make sure law-abiding Arabs are secure as well. But his election night message revealed his long-held beliefs. It is time for us to return to being the landlords of our country. World's oldest DNA reveals ice age ecosystem. DNA samples can reveal much about the lives of ancient animals, but new research published in Nature, a journal, shows how environmental DNA can illuminate whole ecosystems, too. Scientists harvested eDNA from sediment thawed from permafrost in northern Greenland. Unlike genetic material from one animal, eDNA is the microscopic spore of many different species, including plants and microorganisms. Scientists, tooled with computing power and libraries of present-day species genomes, used it to reconstruct an ecosystem from the Ice Age. The two-million-year-old ecosystem was home to birch trees, geese, lemmings, reindeer, and even mastodons, an extinct elephantine creature. This astonishingly complete snapshot could hold clues about how ecosystems adapt to extreme conditions, as the climate of that epoch resembles that predicted under future warming. The project also expands how far back in time DNA hunting can reach, not only at the poles, but also in Africa, where the clay may contain genetic material from early man. The winners of this week's quiz Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random, were Martin Kokurek Bratislava, Slovakia, Sara Forney, Pittsburgh, America, Arjun K. Gurjale, Hosar, India. And they all gave the correct answers of Mirage, New York, New York, Luxor, the Twelve Caesars, Sahara. The theme is Las Vegas Casinos, the Mirage, New York, New York, Luxor, Caesars Palace, and Sahara and visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Alfred Noble. If I have a thousand ideas and only one turns out to be good, I am satisfied.